there are lots of things that before I became a parent, I never thought I would do. And one of them was to be super excited about the new releases of a kid's show. <laughs> My children are massive fans of Bluey. For those of you who aren't acquainted with the TV show, it's about a family of blue healer dogs. Their daughter is called Bluey, her sister's called Bingo, and their mum and dad. And there are seven-minute episodes of their adventures. And when you've been a parent of children who love Bluey, you get to know those episodes very well, word by word. And so you get very excited when ABC announces that there is new content. And even on my mum's chat group, we were like, have you heard there are new Bluey episodes? These are this, this is the thing that excites you when you become a parent. This is the peak. And so one of the new episodes was an episode called Promises. It starts off with Bluey's dad driving Bluey and Bingo to an indoor trampoline centre. And Bluey says to her, Dad, Dad, can we go to the library after we go to the trampoline centre? He says, yeah, yeah, sure. And she said, oh, are you sure, Dad? Like, we definitely can. He's like, yeah, I promise. I promise you, Bluey, we will go to the library after the trampoline centre. Now, of course, they have a wonderful time at this centre. They take way too long. And by the time they get out, the library has closed. And Bluey says, but Dad... You promised that you would take us to the library. Now, the episode is all about the power of words and not breaking your promises. I think every parent and probably every person has said things that they haven't followed through with. There's been lots of times when I've been at the park and I have heard a parent say to their child, if you don't get in the car now, I'm leaving you here. Now, I don't think they would actually leave that child alone at the park defenceless, but sometimes these threats come out from deep within us and we don't always think about the fact that we probably won't follow through with our words. Sometimes, however, broken promises go a lot deeper. Some of you may have been in relationships where someone has promised to change. A toxic relationship, an abusive relationship, They've made promises that have been broken. They've said things that they never followed through with. Words are powerful. And there's one thing about God that is in our passage today where it says that no word of God will ever fail. See, unlike Bluey's dad, our dad, our father in heaven, never breaks his promises. No word of his ever fails. God always follows through with what he says. He always does what he says he will do. And this could not be truer, but in the Christmas story, we have less than two weeks until the big day, Christmas. And so today we're following on in this series, Too Good to Not Believe, and today, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story through Mary's perspective. So if you have got your Bible or the app on your phone, open up to Luke chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin 
engaged to be man, married to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, right at the beginning of this story, we see something very surprising. It says that God sent the angel Gabriel to the city of Nazareth, a town of Galilee. Now, at that time, Nazareth was just a small town of only 200 people. It didn't have a big potato or a giant sheep to make it more famous or put it on the map. It was fairly unknown. It was insignificant. When I used to work at the University of Wollongong many years ago, I worked in the study abroad office and we would have hundreds of students from other countries come to Wollongong and as part of their enrolment in the university, we would take them through some Australian cultural training. And one of the things that we would do was teach them all the slang words that Aussies use. And one of the first words that we would teach them on the list was the definition of whoop whoop. If someone said they lived out near whoop whoop, what did that mean? And we would tell them, well, it just means that they live in the middle of nowhere, which is sort of 80% of Australia, so you may hear the phrase a lot. Now, Nazareth was out near whoop whoop. It was in the middle of nowhere. So the people who were reading this from Luke would have thought, why is the angel going to Nazareth? In fact, in, one John, in John 1, 45, Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? They had low expectations for that town. But Luke tells us that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Why? To give a message to a virgin named Mary, who was engaged to be married to a man called Joseph from the line of David. Now, this is a really interesting way to introduce Mary. Before I got married to Josh, if I was to meet someone, I wouldn't necessarily walk up to them and say, Hi, I'm Anna a virgin, engaged to Josh of the line of Paul. <laughs> Little bit awkward, probably inappropriate. But here we have it in the Bible. Luke is sharing with us about Mary and who she's married to. Now, for us, we read that and think, weird. But for people who Luke was writing to, this would have been immediately setting off alarm bells in their mind. Because for the Jews who were familiar with their Old Testament writings, which many of them were, they were all raised up in understanding and reading those scriptures, they would have known that Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah was going to come through a virgin birth. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. They knew that someone was coming and that Isaiah had prophesied thousands of years before that they would be born to a virgin. Similarly, they knew that this one to come was going to be in the line of David. Throughout Jeremiah and Samuel and the Psalms, it talks about David's kingdom that will never come to an end. It talks about the branch of Jesse, which was David's dad, bearing fruit forever. 
So they would have heard this one line that Luke says, the angel Gabriel coming to a virgin, engaged to Joseph of the line of David, and they would have thought, hmm, has this got something to do with the one to come? Has this got something to do with the Messiah? So we're told that her name is Mary. And what does Gabriel say to her? He says, greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. As you can imagine, this was quite a shock for little old Mary. And it says that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. He goes on. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What a bombshell. Mary's there minding her own business, doing her thing. And Gabriel rocks up. Not only does he tell her that she's going to become pregnant, even though she's a virgin, he says his name's going to be Jesus. He's going to be great. He's going to be son of the Most High. And then he drops the mic and says his kingdom will never end. This is pretty full on. This is a lot for Mary to take in. So understandably, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Gabriel brings this word of God to Mary. Now, whenever God speaks, there is always a gap between when he speaks and when he fulfills. There is a space between his word and his work, his promises and his fulfillment. Sometimes that gap is very small. It says in Genesis that he spoke and it came to be. Sometimes it's very long. Moses and the Israelites wandered around the desert for 400 years, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to bring them into the land of milk and honey. Sometimes in our own life, we pray the promises of God and he brings them to fulfillment quite quickly. But sometimes we wait. And sometimes the waiting is long and sometimes the gap is slow. And so the question is, what do we do in that in-between, between God's word and God's work? The space between God's promise and God's fulfillment. See, for Mary, she had every reason not to believe what Gabriel had spoken to her. She was poor. She was young. The Messiah was meant to be born into the king's household. He was meant to be powerful and wealthy and successful. She was just a young woman. She wasn't meant to fall pregnant. She wasn't even married yet. Biologically, logically, reasonably, all of these things shouldn't have to be coming true. Yet Gabriel, the very last thing that he says, 
No word of the Lord's shall fail. So how does Mary respond? She hasn't seen the miracle yet. She hasn't even got a sign that it could be true. Yet what does she say? In verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. How did Mary react to this promise, this word from God? She believed. She believed the word. May your word to me be fulfilled. There's another translation that says, let it be to me as you have said. Now, we may not have an angel appearing to us, bringing us a message from God. We may not have the word of the Lord written in the stars at night. But we do have the word of God. The word has come to us. God has written down his promises to us. And we too have to decide what are we going to do in the space between his word and his work, his promises and his fulfillment. Are we going to believe that he will follow through with what he said that he will do? Are we going to believe that no word of his will ever fail? Because we're not waiting for the birth of our saviour. We're waiting for the return of our Saviour. See, Mary was waiting for her Messiah to come, but we're waiting for our Messiah to come back. So what are we going to do in that waiting? Are we going to choose to believe? Are we going to say, yes, Lord, no word of yours will fail? When we're feeling overwhelmed and weak and worn out like we can't carry on, are we going to believe God's promise that says, I will supply every one of your needs by the power and riches in Christ Jesus? Will we declare, let it be to me as you have said? When the cloud of heaviness or darkness or depression or anxiety is hanging over us, will we read the word of God? Psalm 16:11 that says in your presence is an abundance of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore will we declare to our own souls let it be to me as you have said so when we carry weariness when we carry pain when we carry depression or anxiety it inherently means we're not feeling the promises of God are true our souls aren't rejoicing in the abundance of his joy we're struggling. The cloud is heavy. The burden is great. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says we need to preach to ourselves every day. We need to tell our soul, our mind, our emotions, let it be to me as you have said. Robert Ferguson repeatedly says the Bible is not a manual for living it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we need to search its pages for God's promises. Again, every morning we need to say, God, what have you promised so that I can declare over my circumstances, let it be to me as God has said. And when we don't even have faith in ourselves to stir up and declare it, we need to declare it over one another. We need to step into church and into relationship and to brothers and sisters and hold one another's arms up. And when your friend beside you can't declare it, then you believe for them. Say, let it be to you as God has said. Because when someone's in the pit, 
It doesn't help saying, Jesus came to bring you life and life to the full. They'll smile at you and say, you have no idea. So that's when you say to God, I'm believing for them. I'm believing that your word never fails. And if you promise joy, if you promise strength, if you promise comfort, then you're going to bring it. And I don't know when, I don't know how long that path is going to be. But in the waiting, I'm going to believe. And like Mary, I'm going to declare, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. So what happens next? Mary believes and the angel departs. It says in verse 39 of Luke 1, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. One of the translations says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. Mary didn't walk. She didn't dawdle along. She's just had an angel come to her and say, you're going to be pregnant with the saviour of the world and your relative who has been well past her childbearing age is also pregnant. Now, I have no idea how this went down, but I just picture Mary rushing about the house, chucking things into a backpack, sewing, I've got to see Elizabeth. I've got to go. And I picture her sort of picking up her dress and just running, just going for it to Elizabeth's house, trying to hold her headpiece on, puffing and panting, sprinting there as thoughts are flooding through her head, going, can this be true? Elizabeth, who's been barren her whole life, who's longed for a child, who's felt the shame of that, could, could this be true, what God has said? Could she be pregnant? And if she's pregnant, does that mean that what he said to me is true? And I just picture her rocking up to Elizabeth and Zechariah's house, opening the door. I picture her making eye contact with Elizabeth, seeing the joy in her eyes ablaze, and then looking down at her stomach her pregnant belly that is quite literally filled up with the promise of God. And I just wonder, how did they react to one another? Did they cry? Did they hug? Did they leap with joy? What joy there must have been amidst these two women as they stood in awe at the miraculous work of God. Who is this God that we serve? And it's an interesting side story because some of you will know that Mary wasn't the first one that the angel Gabriel appeared to in the book of Luke. Only a few verses before, he appears to Zechariah, who is Elizabeth's husband, who's going to become the dad of John the Baptist. But in contrast to Mary, Zechariah didn't believe what God declared. He didn't believe in the word that was spoken over him. And God made him mute. But in Mary's case, she did believe. And what happens after this interaction with Elizabeth? She worships. She bursts into song. Let me read to you some of the things that she says. In verse 46, she says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. 
for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. It's interesting that some people elevate Mary to almost worship-like status because there is not one bit in this song that is celebrating what Mary has done. She is all about her God. He has performed mighty deeds. His mercy extends to those who fear for him. He has brought down rulers. He has filled the hungry. He has helped his servant. He is great and mighty. Mary is all about him. And Mary had cause to worship because God has shown her favour. And we have cause to worship because God too has shown us favour. But it's not because of the good things that we have done. It's not because of the energy that we've put in. It's not because we're good people trying to outweigh our bad deeds with our good deeds. If that were the measure, then we would all fall short. We would never make the cut. See, the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to stand in the gap. When he was born and he walked, he went to the cross. And on that cross, he took on what has been called the great exchange. Where on that cross, he took all the judgment, all the condemnation, all of our guilt and sin that fell on us, it fell on him. But the story didn't end there. It was a great exchange because in exchange for our sin and guilt on Jesus, he gave us his righteousness, his blessing. The favour of God fell on to us. I'm sure many of you have been going to work Christmas parties. We had ours last week. And we did the secret Santa thing where everyone brought in a $10 present. And when we were there, we were having lunch and everyone put their present in the middle of the table. But the way they did it is that everyone had to pick out a number and you went down from one to 10 and you had to choose from the wrapped up presents in the middle of the table. But the twist is, some of you would have done this game, that once the first person has chosen their present, you can either pick a present from the middle or you can steal someone else's. I somehow ended up with Christmas-themed toilet paper, which is all ready for some re-gifting. But once you steal someone else's present, then they can steal someone else's present. And so it goes round and round. And obviously the goal of the game is that you end up with the best present. I clearly didn't win. But the thing that Jesus did on the cross is that he took the present nobody wanted. He took the beating, the betrayal, the abandonment, the whipping. He was left alone, not just by his friends, but by his eternal Father God. He took that on himself. And in exchange... He gave us the gift that we all need, 
the right standing before God. So that when God looks at you and I, He doesn't see our sin and our shame and our failings. He sees the righteousness of Christ. See, when Gabriel came to Mary, he said, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. And it was setting a precedent that when Jesus came, no more would the favour of God come through ritual and religious practice. No, lo- no longer would you only be able to be with God by walking into the temple and doing the right sacrifices. Mary was going to be the channel through which a baby was born into this world where the favour of God and the presence of God would be opened up to everyone through Him so that every man and woman could come with confidence to the throne of grace and be acceptable by the holiness of Christ. That's what Jesus opened up to us. So how can we not with Mary say, my soul magnifies the Lord? How can we not preach to our souls to believe in what God has said and worship Him in return? Because He calls us His favoured ones. It will no longer be the good people who make it into heaven. That's the upside down of this gospel. Why did Gabriel come to Nazareth in the middle of nowhere? Why did he go to the young, poor virgin? Because Jesus was saying, no longer will it be the wealthy or the successful or the person who is ticking off all the boxes. It will be young and old, wealthy and poor, successful and not successful. It will be whoever repents and believes in the name of Jesus. And what's the most powerful word that you can believe that God has spoken? The most promise, the greatest promise that He has declared? It's found in Romans and by the grace of God, we get to hear it a lot in this church because we never want to miss an opportunity for you to invite Jesus into your heart. It's the promise that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And I encourage you this Christmas to believe in that word to declare with Mary, let it be to me as you have said. Because there are some promises that won't find their fulfillment until Jesus returns. We will spend our whole life waiting. So we need to really believe that when God comes back, He's going to wipe away every tear. There'll be no more mourning and no more pain. That Jesus will come in all of His glory, in all of His grace, And that He has eternity with us, with Him in heaven. We need to hold on to that, knowing that we will be saved through Christ. So let's pray now that as we head into this Christmas season, that we'll remember that Jesus wasn't just born, that He went all the way to the cross so that we could believe and worship Him. Let's declare together, let it be to me as you have said. So let me pray if you want to pray after me and invite Jesus into your heart. I encourage you to do that, but let's all do it together as a reminder of the faith that we have in Him. Let's pray. Dear God, I confess with my mouth that You are the Lord. I believe in my heart that You raised Your Son from the dead.
Thank you that because of that, I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen.